Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Thursday, August 3rd. We are here live. It's a free-for-all kind of day. We've got, uh, we've got a lot going on today. So first hour is your chance to get in with anything at all. True free-for-all, no guests, no themes. I really don't have a lot to talk about this morning. Since we only have an hour on Thursdays to get started, I don't like to have a long open. Uh, so I've got a couple things, and then we're going to get right to calls. So go ahead and line them up now. 855 nine five zero three eight three five we can talk about anything you want trucks money fuel mileage maintenance tires taxes technology health and fitness on the road getting started as an owner operator finding freight working with brokers the economy politics anything you want pick up the phone and join me Calls are starting to come in. We'll get to those here in just a couple of minutes. Um, Rolling Toe will follow me at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Then at 10 or so, we will roll on over into our trucking free-for-all on X. Can't call it Twitter anymore. It's now X. Um, Still Spaces. It's X Spaces, I guess. Uh, I've got a couple things going on today in the space. It is a trucking free-for-all, so you can come and ask any question you want. Uh, I will be interviewing a broker who also does some broker training. Um, Really don't know anything uh, other than a little bit of background I did. We'll find out um, what his story is. And then uh, I'm going to be working with somebody in the trucking industry, but not a driver, on getting them started on their health journey. Um, his goal right now is to lose weight. We're going to convince him his goal should be to get healthy. Losing weight's a big part of that. So, uh, got a little bit of everything going on today. Should be a good day. Um, let's see. Is there anything I really needed to talk about this morning or should I just get to calls? Cause they're coming in already. Uh, if there's something, I'll throw it in here somewhere. I don't think there's much today. Uh, let's get started in Texas. Fred, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. How you going? Good. What's on your mind today? Well, I just heard Ron DeSantis is going to debate. Hey, hey, Fred. You hear about this? You're a little, you're a little quiet. Can you bring up the volume? Okay. Yeah. How about that? Is that better? Little better. Try to make sure you keep the volume up. I'll get, I'll get the speaker closer to me. That's that's much better. Go ahead. All right. So I just heard on the on the news that Gavin, uh, Gavin, uh, Ron DeSantis accepted. A debate with Gavin Newsom. Okay. Did you hear about this? No, I didn't. I think Ron DeSantis is really destroying his own campaign. I don't understand what he's trying to do. I think he's 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 getting lost because of all the uh, all the drama around Trump. So he's not gaining any traction. And I think he's just he doesn't know what to do. I think he's just not. Not doing, not doing himself justice yet. I, I agree. Um, I'm not even sure what to think about the Republican Party right now and what's going to happen in this next election cycle. It's such a weird um, scenario of what's going on. In some ways, the Democrats are making a martyr out of Trump. I mean, th- this is probably the biggest issue in the election. What is going on with Trump? And it, it's a shame they the Democrats might get him elected. I mean, it really is that they're trying so hard to make sure he can't even be in the election. And if they succeed at that, then I hope they're ready for the backlash that's going to come. If they don't succeed in getting him out of the election, they may succeed in getting him elected. Well, let me let me give you a little bit of a different take here. Okay. I think, and this this just sitting back and just listening to every all he's talking about and everything. I believe that what they're trying to do is they're trying to get him as the nominee. With all of this drama going on, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get the people like you, people that voted for Trump out of necessity last time, uh, tired of all the BS that goes along with Trump, so they don't vote. They don't even vote at all. Could be. And I think that's how that that's their strategy but, to win. 
I, I, Biden. I think in an environment like this, they better be very, very careful because the opposite could happen. Enough people well, another- could, could look at. I'll give you an example. I have never voted for Trump. I won't vote for him as in the, well, I don't vote in the Republican primary because I'm a libertarian, so it doesn't matter. If he's the nominee this time from the Republican Party, I will absolutely vote for him. So they have to be careful about that. And I'm not voting for Trump because I want him as president. I'm voting for Trump to maintain some integrity in our election system, you can't do this. You can't try to railroad the number one candidate during an election cycle. This is so un-American that I, 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 they better be careful that they don't create a lot of new Trump voters. Well, I got two points on this. All right. First point is after the 2022 mid, midterm elections, Joe Biden came out in the White House. And had a presser and said that he's going to do everything that he can constitutionally to make sure Trump is not able to be president. He actually stated that. Yeah. And at that point, my reaction was, okay, if you do this constitutionally, you got nothing, nothing. You are not doing this constitutionally. You are you are bringing a, a former president up on the most shaky charges and allegations I have ever seen. We, we, would, we wouldn't right. put a normal citizen in jail for any of these things. These, these are really, really shaky legal arguments. I would have thought that the first time we ever indicted a sitting president, it would have been such an ironclad, no way to lose case. And in fact, it's the exact opposite. All of these charges are so shaky that it becomes clear what this is all about. This is nothing but uh, like a third world dictator trying to make sure his opponent can't run. I mean, that's what this looks like. Right. And if you if you take just if you just go back to character on this special prosecutor, this Jack Smith, he's he's already lost everything he's he's ever indicted uh, constitutionally by the Supreme Court. He's zero and eight. Yeah. And he's embellished on these charges. He stretched the truth, stretched the charges over every case he's litigated. Right. And, and that's what all these I are. Mean, the, any, these, any, all of these yeah, are yeah. such a stretch that it's just insane that yeah. this is how they're trying to indict a former president uh, on and not one set of weak charges. What are we up to? Three now? Do so you have like three indictments going on now? Well, yeah, just yeah, the Mar-a-Lago classified documents is 34 counts of the same charge. Right. I, I, yeah. I, I don't I counts wasn't uh, the right I mean? word, so I guess. Just what, cases. When people say when people say, yeah, when people say that, you know, he's he's charged 74 times. Most of this stuff is double and triple of course. the same charge. Right. Again, which you know? is, and this it, is what more people are, of yeah, a but again, stretch it's, it's again. It's a political machine. That, yeah. Yeah. Right. Every but step of the prosecution point, is stretching everything they can stretch to get there. Right. Going back to your point about they better be careful. Well, Obama just came out this morning and said that uh, he messaged about Joe Biden. But I think his message was basically to Democrats that don't count out Trump. Let, get you know, get yeah, out here well, and, and, and support him. Well, the way I see this, the Democrats have set up a lose-lose scenario for themselves. If you yes. don't get Trump out of the election, you have created a martyr already. You can look at the numbers and see that. If you do manage to get him out of the election, I think every single Trump supporter will just will just switch to the next candidate and do everything. I, I just think they're they're working against themselves here. Here's another problem. If you look at this logically, and, and most people won't, what are the Democrats trying to tell? What are they running on? They're running on nothing. They have zero issues that that I can see other than we're going to make sure Trump isn't president. That seems to be their only platform. 
How are we going to fix all yeah. of the problems in the country if all they're focused on is we're just going to make sure Trump isn't president? How, how about running the country like you're right. supposed to be doing? Right, right. And uh, another little tidbit, um, Mike Pence was on Martha McCallum's show. I saw a tweet about this. He actually could have sent the electors back to the Congress to debate the validity of them on January 6th. So this whole thing about he couldn't do anything, is he just came out and said it. Well, I, I think Pence is, is just... <laughs> I mean... Yeah, no, I, I, I think he's just it, has been you know, now anyway. I mean, he, I, yeah, he, yeah, in my yeah. mind, he's kind of a non-issue. Um, I, I'm, right, right. You know, I'm just, on, you honestly... Know, I'm just how things come out I, in, the, I, in the wash. I think the only reason he was the vice president is Trump was looking for somebody who wouldn't have to worry about overshadowing him. Well, I think he needed someone who was going to keep the base, uh, keep the base kind of uh, calm uh, yeah, that he was they, being elected. Except for the fact that nobody knew who the hell he was. We really think about it. <laughs> Pri- prior to the election, nobody knew Mike Pence. Really, he had done that's nothing true. of note, and I think that's why Trump wanted him. He didn't want a. And and this happens a lot. Presidents have big egos. Yep. They don't really want good vice presidents. They're, they're yeah, usually, yeah. Or, or they pick, or they pick someone that that can benefit them politically. Correct. In certain areas that, that's of that's usually the criteria. If I'm really weak with women, yeah. I'll probably pick a running mate that might help me in the election. I don't think anybody really picks right. a vice president to have a good vice president. No, no. Well, that was the whole thing with John F. Kennedy. He picked uh, Lyndon Johnson because. He was he was very unpopular in the South. Right. Yeah. It's it's that. So Pence to me is a a has been he's a non-issue. The whole, you know, honestly, I have to say the Republican Party now is kind of looking like the Democratic Party in the last couple of elections. Throw everybody out there. Well, that's what's what's so what's so depressing is I heard one of those talking heads say this a couple of years back. The Republicans just want to beat the drum and they really don't want to lead because they have to they have to accomplish something. So yeah. it, it, they just don't have a they don't have a backbone. They don't have a backbone. Doesn't seem like it. And like I say, it, it's um, I've never seen anything quite like this. But like I said, I, I've pretty yeah. much made up my mind The the primaries for me are a non-issue. Uh, you know, I'll vote. But. as a libertarian why bother um but i've made up my mind this time it it, you know honestly i'll just say this whoever the republican candidate is this time i guess that's who i'm voting for even if it's trump i got you i got you well i mean you could just see the 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 blatant contrast the democrats do a squatcher policy they don't care if they win in the next election they're going to get their agenda through right and and the republicans just sit there and they come out with all of these oh they're corrupt. They're this. They're that, and they don't do nothing about it. No, it's a mess. I it mean, really even is. The, even the even the seven even the seven archer, who was by, uh, Hunter Biden's business partner, he was deposed, but he wasn't deposed under oath. <laughs> People don't even realize that. Uh, yeah. like, he should yeah, have been lying out his ass uh, in front of them, and he can't get penalized for it. Right. So, I mean, this is this is this is the the, the smoke and mirrors that Washington does to the American public. And they get everybody fighting amongst each other. Yeah, I, I, I can't see a good outcome in this election at all. I just can't. I mean, I, I, no. I, I, I can't see anything happening that's going to end the mess that we're in. The country's been so fractured, and this is just even just, just standing the fire. Standing the fire even there, trem- tremendously. As far as I can tell, there is nobody left to elect that we could even get any kind of agreement on. I, I don't think we could ever get back to the days of Reagan where we even had Democrats who actually liked him and would vote for him. I don't I think those days are Correct. so far gone. You know, if you look at a guy yeah. like RFK, you would think that he might um attract the middle he he's i i I like him for a lot of reasons i couldn't possibly vote for him there are a lot of things i absolutely don't agree with him on politically um and i think we we've gotten to the point in politics now where we vote against people rather than for people 
Yes, I think Reagan was the last. Well, uh, Clinton had a Clinton had a way about him. I, I, I will. I, I'll I'll admit I did not <laughs> like Clinton for a lot. I did like his fiscal policies and he had a good fed chairman and they kept the economy humming along pretty nicely. And well, that, that was because Clinton, Clinton was smart. He came back to the center after he lost the midterm. Right. Right. He was very politically savvy. And I think maybe you're right. That was probably the last time we came back to the middle. And, and I just don't see that yeah. happening anymore. I, I think everybody now is in their camp and, and it's extreme and we have we have nothing in common in the middle anymore. Yeah. And and I, I I'll tell you, after you read that book, I want you to if you if you like it, I want you to discuss it because yeah, I, I think that's going to solve a lot of these a lot of these mental mysteries we have. I hope so. I, I hope it helps me get my yeah. head around some of this stuff so I can explain it better. Right, right. And I, I'm going to re-listen to it because there was a lot to it for me. So I got to, and plus I'm driving when I'm going down the road. So I got to, I got to re-listen to it again. But it was, it was definitely uh, interesting, and it just opened my uh, perception up of what's actually happening. Happening. There you go. All right, so, good stuff. But anyway. We're going to move along. If you want to jump in and join us, 855-950-3835. It is a free-for-all. We're off to Illinois. Mike, welcome. Good morning, Kevin. How are you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? I uh, I have uh, my two grandkids. One's a year and one's two years now. They got that hand, foot, and mouth disease, I believe it's called. Okay. According to the doctor. And I was wondering if I could give them, you know, a low amount of the ADEK, you know, D3 to try to help their immune system a little bit. I'm not sure how much they're out in the sun. I'm in the truck. I wouldn't imagine they're outside by themselves that much. So I was just curious if that would help. Yeah, you can absolutely give the ADE and K to a child. We just dose it that way. Um, it, it probably will help a little but I'm not very confident of supplementing such a lousy diet. You know, the, the, the problem with the standard American diet isn't necessarily that it's lacking in nutrients. I don't think that's the biggest problem with it. It's loaded with toxins and non-food and highly processed and chemicals. And it's not a matter of it doesn't have enough nutrition. I just don't think that's our biggest issue. It really is. It, that's why we almost always work with what we call elimination diets. We don't come in to somebody and look and go, oh, boy, you could really use some liver because you need more nutrients or you should eat more seafood. You can eat all the liver and seafood you want. Mm-hmm. But if your diet is the standard American diet, it's not going to matter. And I kind of feel the same way about supplements. I, I really don't like to sell a bunch of supplements to people who aren't going to change their diet. Now with kids and you don't have a lot of control over it, um, adding a couple of good supplements like that, it, it may help. But the, the real problem here is the diet themso- itself. Yeah, I, I know they've been trying to get them to eat, you know, better stuff. No, it's hold on. A hold, bit hard, wait, wait. No, it's it. not a little bit hard at all. Huh? It's really, really easy with kids. Let's stop fooling ourselves here. It's hard. I say all the time, it's hard to get anybody else to do this. But I'm talking about adults. Kids are easy. Now, as they get older and go to school, you've got a little bit more of a challenge. But kids are, they are only going to eat the food that's in the house. This is easy. You only put the food in the house you want the kids to eat. And if they don't eat it, let them go hungry. No human being will starve themselves to death. It's just not going to happen. When, when they get hungry enough, they will eat the food that's there. This is not hard with kids. Okay, well, then maybe it's on the parents, you know. It is on the parents. Issue. That's absolutely you know, right. It's hard. Right. Now, now, as kids get right. older and they're at school and out at friends and they can go get their own fast food if they want, yeah, at that point, you are going to have a much, much bigger challenge with kids. The younger they are, the easier this is. Prior to them going to school, this is a slam dunk. If kids who aren't in school really don't leave the house by themselves, so you have total control over that kid's food supply. 
And if you do it right when they're that young, then you're going to have better results when they do have some freedom. They, they won't be hooked on sweet, ultra-processed foods. So for, you've got a much better chance of them continuing to eat healthier after after that certain age and they're out on their own. But if they're young enough, this is the time you, you can have an, a real impact on them. All righty. Well, maybe this is what my son needed, a little boot in the ass, because I've been preaching to him and preaching to him and buying the kids better stuff, you know, and giving it to them. And uh, maybe this is what he's going to need now to continue on with it. You know? Yeah, yeah. When I, when I hear parents say, well, I can't get my kids to eat this stuff at home. Yeah, well, you have 100% control of the food at home. Use it. If the bad food isn't there, they can't eat it while they're yeah. at home. And eventually they will eat the good food right. when they get hungry enough. Okay. Well, that's a good point. You know, when. All when right, sir. Well, thank I, you. I, I wasn't obviously this knowledgeable about nutrition when I was raising my kids, but I, I, I was trying. I mean, I was doing the best I could with my understanding of health at the time. And I cooked from scratch right. almost every day. We did not have a lot of processed junk food in the house. And dinner was. This is dinner. You're not eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich instead of dinner. If you don't like dinner, then you're going hungry. Yeah, that's what we had. Yeah. And you ate it tomorrow. Exactly. If you didn't eat what was at the table. So it, yeah. it, it, I never Alrighty. let a parent say, well, I can't get my kids to eat this stuff at home. It's because you're not trying. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, how are your grandkids doing with your son being where he's at with this? Are they doing really good? They're incredible. They're just incredible little humans. Yeah. They were okay. down here a couple of weeks ago, um, took them out on the water, doing some paddle boarding stuff. I, you know, at some point, if I can get them down here often enough, I might get them into wing foiling. They're into wrestling, which is awesome. Um, yeah, really smart. Um, just and well-behaved uh it's really a joy to see kids like that yeah yeah okay well thanks for the information i'll let you get out with somebody else you're welcome thanks for the call let's go to florida matt welcome to the program yeah good morning kevin uh first a comment with what fred was talking about i heard a report and i don't have the numbers and they don't matter that the study, I think it was the trust in the White House or the federal government to actually move our country in the right direction. However, I don't remember how it was worded, but that measurement, and it doesn't matter, you know, the current administration or the, you know, whoever wins the next one is lower today than when Richard Nixon resigned. Wow. Wow. You know, I if you, if you, you want to talk about a low point in our country in that would be, yeah. I would think, Nixon resigning, the only president that ever resigned. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, it, it unfortunately, our country and our elections are, are looking more and more like third world elections and our government. Where it, What do we actually pass as laws anymore? When was the last time Congress actually did something of, of any note? I mean, all we seem to do anymore, are, our elections are, are just a mess. You know, now we're using the justice system. But we also, the last several presidents, like going back to Obama, we're mostly governing now with executive orders, he can't get anything done in Congress, yeah, so they just keep using executive orders. We might as well have a dictatorship. And even what happens in Congress is either 100% Republican passed or 100% Democrat passed. Right, right. which there becomes no, next there, to impossible because yeah. nobody is able to get a really good— uh, even when the Republicans had all three— there was a couple holdouts that would screw things up. The Democrats had their holdouts. So even when they have total control, they can't seem to get anything passed. Well, and I believe it was just a couple weeks ago in Memphis. I don't know exactly who put it. I can't remember the name of the organization, but it, it's a libertarian, you know, leaning organization. 
I know the guy from Reason Magazine was there. Mike Rowe was there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, he just on his podcast had something about it. But, it, you know, it's the, like, say, libertarian-leaning something for American rights or something like that. But anyway, both Robert Kennedy and Varek Warshwami were there. Okay. And I thought that was awesome that we got a, politi- a presidential candidate from both sides of the aisle at a somewhat, you, I guess, uh, independent event. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think I said this the other day. I'll say it again. Um, if I could wave a magic wand and pick the two nominees, it would actually be RFK and Vivek Ramaswamy. Nope. And, and here's the interesting thing, too, talking about Pence. Wouldn't you think a former vice president in the primary election would have a little bit of um, recognition? And you, you would think should should be one of the front runners, right? Yet here's Barack Warshwami, who most people don't even know who he is yet, is a couple points ahead of Pence. Yeah, Pence is only yeah. getting like two or three percent, and that's I, on a Fox poll. Well. Look, you're never going to get Democrats to vote for any Republican in this kind of an environment. And there just aren't many Republicans excited about Pence. Why would you be? No. no. I, here, here's what I think of no. Pence. If he managed to get elected somehow, which it just doesn't seem possible that he will. I, to me, he'd just be another Bush, the second. Yeah. Just weak. Yeah, nothing's going to happen for four years. It, it, he's just weak, um, it, a lot like Bush. And uh, I, I just don't think he has much of a chance in this environment. And you're right. If, if you can't put up better poll numbers than that as a vice president, I don't think you've got a shot. But then let's look at, at um, if, if Joe doesn't make it, and there are lots of reasons Joe might not make it, um, how well do you think uh, Kamala's going to do in that arena? <laughs> and she's the sitting vice president. Well, she, she's, she will. She could possibly she, she's be a worse the president. Public than Joe is. I know it, it's possible with with Joe being as frail and old as he is that he might not finish his term. We could end up with an election where she is the sitting president, and I can't imagine that she would get reelected. Except for the fact that we are in such a weird environment, the Democrats will all vote for her. Oh, yeah. That's the thing is that the base is they're going to vote for whoever, no matter what. And that's the same on the right and the left. And if that's the case, she she could get reelected. People don't realize those numbers are fairly small. I think it's like 24 and 25 percent. Of what? the voting population, you know, one of 23, 24% claim to be Republican, 24% claim to be Democrat. Okay. That leaves 50% of the middle that could I, swing either way. And yet, we every election now is a cliffhanger. We don't even know for yep. weeks anymore, which, which is another problem. Um, how is it possible that? With about a billion people buying lottery tickets, especially when you you have that, <laughs> we we don't need weeks to find out who won. It takes minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Why can't we create a, a, a good secure election system that we actually get results on election day? Yeah, yeah. The, the lottery they can probably tell you which store and pull up the video surveillance of the person buying the ticket within five minutes. Exactly. And why can't we create an election system that works that well? Yeah. Well, that's private. Well, I don't know. I know. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of money involved. Yep. And Um, it's it's not political. The reason for my call. Yep. Uh, reason for my call is uh, fuel prices. Interesting, huh? I'm sure everybody buying fuel every day is uh, well aware of this, but my email from Nastic this morning, I get an email every day, you know, saying what it's going to do at midnight, just the national average up or down. Uh, today's the first time in 11 days that it, it's going to go down at midnight by a couple cents. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been climbing, and nobody. In the last gas prices yeah, have been it, going up too. It's up, it's up 
69 cents over the last uh, four weeks. And yeah, that oil prices are climbing, gas. It's, now, uh, now here's, I mean, it's all Middle East is what the reasons I can read. Yeah, it seems like it. Here's the other thing that uh, we have to start watching for, fuel surcharge or not, we know when fuel prices go up, owner-operators start to fail. Oh. And small carriers. And we're, we're already in a really tough environment for a lot of those people. Most of them are already, already hanging over the edge. They're not on the edge anymore. Right, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're only holding on by the tip of one finger. Right. And, yeah, this is all it's going to take. Yeah. I, I Now, on the other hand, um, with yellow going out, you know, it's pretty interesting. Uh, I know a couple of yellow drivers, and um, one of them in particular uh, is obviously looking for a job. And just been trying to give him a little advice. And I, this is the problem. This is why I won't wouldn't hire union drivers when I had trucks. Every recommendation there's a problem with. Well, they're not hiring. I, well, how do you know they're not hiring? Well, they're, that that terminal's just a little too far away from me. Well, this job I I would have to start on the dock and as a casual, and and this job I won't be able to get home every day. And here's the problem with union workers when they lose their job. It is really, really difficult to replace it with what you had. And in a situation like this, when 30,000 people lose their job all at once, yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to be picky, what what are these guys going to do? How are they going to replace that income and those benefits? You can't. Well, the income... I don't uh, think it's that hard to replace. You're right. You're right. I, I, I'll they take that back. They weren't getting paid that yeah. much. <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Especially now, Yellow. They other have been, union companies. Right. Yeah. Yep. But, but it's still the that attitude of yeah. the whole job. And I know what those union jobs are like. Almost every driving job at a union company gets you home every night. There's a couple exceptions. Some yep. of those... Companies started running some team stuff, but they don't do a lot of it. Occasionally on a line haul, you will drive out, spend the night and drive back. That's about the longest you're going to be away from home in those union jobs. And then they have benefits. And then, you know, if you've ever worked in the union environment, not only do they have benefits, they have crazy protection. I'll give you an example, a personal example. I had a brother-in-law. He just didn't like to work. The guy wanted to be a farmer. Really, that was his whole, he, he wanted to be a farmer. It never worked out. He had to drive truck to pay the bills and he hated working. He got a job at Spectre because my dad worked there and everybody else in my family worked there. He started on the dock. There were all kinds of disciplinary issues, being late, you know, whatever. He manages somehow to end up in the yard tractor instead and he got caught sleeping twice in the yard tractor. He had the overnight shift and he got caught just flat out sleeping in the tractor. And they still couldn't fire him after two times. Because no. the union protected his yeah. job. See, that's another thing about the union a lot of people don't think about. And there are people who want and like that kind of protection. To me, it's disgusting. You got caught sleeping on the job. You are done now. Go home and don't come back. It not You're not getting a second chance at something like that. Come on. And he already had, like I said, when he's on the dock, he had disciplinary write-ups. Um, the fact that the union could protect somebody's job like that is why these companies struggled so much. You have to overpay them and you get underperformance. And I'm not saying that about every union oh, yeah. worker. I, I'm not. But the the system creates people like that. And that's why, you know, over the years, union companies are it, it's they, shrinking. They can't every be year. competitive. Percentage of right. market share, yeah. Yeah. And even with, you know, UPS, uh, Bruce said it on one of the power hours about, something with a problem with them and, you know, shipping radiators and all that and all some packaging and, you know, you're supposed to be able to box it so it can fall from 12 feet. Right. But 
you know, he told the guy at UPS, he says, well, I've, I've no bigger companies than yours have gone out of business. So, yeah. which obviously, <laughs> you know, nobody's going to listen. But. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a tough situation. You know, the uh, right now, all of the other LTL companies are probably about as happy as they could be. Now they have a driver pool to pick from. They have more freight in the system. It's a good time to be an LTL company. Do you know on the the pension side? So these guys aren't losing their pension completely, are they? No. I mean, they, no, they're I don't, still going to get something. Correct. It's just not going to be very big. Yeah, it's not what they expected yeah, is all I know. I don't know the details of the numbers, but no, they're not losing it completely. They're just not getting, and I don't think it's even close to what they expected. No, because, I mean, I know guys, you know, that worked at CF, Consolidated Freight, and they're still collecting pension, you know, and they've been out of business, what, 20 years now? Or longer. Oh, yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. More than 20 years. Yeah, been a long time. Now, it, the, the so, whole pension thing is really complicated, too. I, 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 even though I grew up around the union, I don't get a lot of that stuff. Uh, like, I, I can remember when I was hiring drivers and, you know, union drivers would either lose their job or retire early and and then they weren't allowed to go work non-union jobs. I don't know. It just seems like there was a lot of screwy rules around that stuff. Yeah, there's something, I mean, it's all like social security. You can only earn so much money and if you earn too much, then they start taking it away. But I don't. Yeah, I didn't understand. I, I know I've heard that. a lot of different things, and I don't know right. how it all works. But all right, hey Matt, I just looked at the clock. I, and I, I set up. My- I I forgot on Thursdays. I got to watch the clock. Um, I want to make sure I get through all the calls. Angie, thank you for shutting off the calls. I'll get through the ones we've got. Let's go to Nebraska. Sarah and Vic, welcome. Hey, I sent you over a oil sample we just got. Yeah, this one's kind of odd. Um, when was the last time I looked at one of your oil samples? Um, it's been a while. I thought so. What's the weird history with the viscosity jumping all over the place? I have no idea. Okay. All right. Um, Do we know why? No, that's why we're calling Kevin. Okay. Here's here's one possibility. When you get your truck serviced, is it at a place where they're filling out of a gun? Um, the last time we had it serviced, yes. Okay. Every other time, no. Okay. So that isn't it then, because the last the, the last sample actually makes sense. It's the viscosity I would expect to see. It's all the priors that were kind of jumping all over. And and you know what? The range isn't even big enough to worry about. So we we don't really need oh. to. Um, and honestly, that's you're, you're seeing some oxidation. Um, I have a feeling this engine just runs a little on the hot side. Do you notice that in the oil and water temperatures? No, it, it, it really doesn't, Kevin. No? It runs, okay. It actually runs cool. Oh, well, that's it's, odd. It's funny. May sound um, we, uh, we will be out. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Here's, yeah, here's another reason uh, for the oxidation is just the how long you're running your oil. I mean, you were at 115,000 on, on the prior change. You're at almost 74,000 now. Um, that alone, oxidation just means the oil's been exposed to oxygen. Heat makes it worse, but time does it too. I mean, the more the older the oil is, the more you can see that. Um, so I really don't. Now, the other thing I'm just a little concerned about was the 10 on silicon. Okay. That That's kind of my number. At, after 10, I get a little concerned. If it's under 10, I don't worry about it. You're right at 10. I, I would just wonder what might have happened. Why did we get so much? And it's not a lot of dirt, but it, it climbed. Uh not too worried about it. We're not seeing a bunch of wear metals because of it. So uh, it was just something I would keep an eye on. Okay. So we'll probably just the oil next time it's convenient and take it from. Yeah. It wouldn't be bad to get a kind of a reset. Um, okay. Have, have you guys always run mobile? What? Have you always run mobile oil? Yeah. 
you know, you know, it might be, you know, it might be interesting because the oxidation, the base, the viscosity, all of those things can, can be like unique to each oil. Some oils will oxidize faster than others. And it's not always even consistent with that oil. Sometimes it's a combination of the oil and that particular engine. So it's not like I could say we always see mobile oxidize faster than Rotella or we always see Rotella. It's not that consistent. But when I see some weird readings like this that are based on the oil itself, it's not a bad idea to try a different oil once in a while. And if I were going to try another oil, it would be Rotella. And I would still do the same 1030 uh, synthetic in Rotella. But if you're going to change the oil, I might try it once. Okay. Hey, Kevin, you got a second? Sure. I don't think. Anyway, uh, are you wearing a wetsuit out in the water? Yes. Okay, what? Do you know what mill, mill it is? Oh, I can't remember, but it's uh, more of a summer weight. It's not a real heavy. It is a full, sort of a full suit, full legs and short sleeve arms. Uh, but it's more of a summer weight. It's not a real heavy one. Yeah, you might want to, if, if you find yourself getting winded, because when I used to be in the water, we used to do a three, two, one. And on the back of your, like the back of your knees, it'd be one. And then under your arms, it'd be a one. And then two on your chest and then on your shoulders, it'd be a three because keeping the heat in, you know, so you know, different millimeter. I'm, I'm actually wearing the suit not for warmth at all. I, I would be fine with the water temperatures okay. in the 70s. I'm working pretty hard at it right now. So I, I, the water temperature, I wear the suit mostly for impacts and crashes. Really, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's a whole lot easier when, when you're hitting the water at 30, 35 miles an hour in your, your board shorts, um, it can get a little brutal sometimes. Oh, I know, I know, I know, we, tie it Hawaii in the reefs and stuff like that, you, you almost, we used to wear shirts, tie them in the knot in the back, just in case we landed on the reef, it wouldn't scratch you as bad. Exactly. Right. I mean, it, it's oh, yeah. just, you know, the, the water's just, re- it's a weird environment out there on the river. It's really turbulent. You've got gusty winds, you've got swirling winds, you've got winds changing direction all the time. Um, and the, the crashes can get pretty spectacular sometimes. And are, how deep is it when, where you, I mean, three, four feet? So, um, Deeper. So where where I'm starting now, I talk about this, this. There's we have this place called the Hook, and it's like a cove, and it's where all the beginners go to to try to learn. Um, and and my perfect spot to start um, is about a hundred yard walk through the water from the shore. So it starts off at about two or three feet. You got to get about thirty feet out before you can even flip your board over because my my foil is to almost three feet. So you, you got to get into four foot water before you can even flip your board over. Um, and I will tell you that is a dangerous time. You're trying to drag your board through the water with its sharp foil sticking up in the air and you're trying to manage your kite and you're walking out against the wind. And it was how I tore up my kite on the first day. I, my kite got tied up with my foil and just shredded the kite or the wing. So, but once you get out to, to, you know, waist deep water, then you can flip the board over. Now the foil is not a problem, but it's about a hundred yard walk. And I get out to right up to my neck, but I can still touch the bottom. It's a little less tiring that way. Um, Plus if I'm in now, Once I start my first run and then I crash, now I'm in deep water, like probably 30, 40 feet. I have no idea where the bottom is. That was a little more difficult to deal with because now you can't touch the bottom and you've got a wind blowing you. So if the wind isn't strong enough to get up and start, 
you're just kind of getting blown off track until you get enough wind and it's harder to get back up on the board. Um, so really this last time I was out, what I spent a lot of my time was practicing just deep water starts, just learning how to hang out in the deep water, not wearing myself out, not getting blown too far off course and learning how to just get back up on the board without exhausting myself over and over. Hmm. Interesting. I just hear you talk about it. You know, I'm in the background now and I'm just wondering because my days at the different millimeter wetsuits, uh, once you, I guess maybe when you get a little bit more aggressive at it and a little bit better at it, you might want to go down to the local surf shop and, you know, look at their wetsuits, that, you know, fall and spring. Yeah. The water's a little yeah. bit colder. You know, the, the, the beauty of living here and doing this is Hood River, which is 20 minutes away from me, and it's where I go to do. I, I could, once I get good at this, I'll be able to go right down, you know, shoot, I could almost go right down where our warehouse is and go get out in the water right there. I mean, once I get good, we have good winds right here. Uh, the problem right here is if you're not good, you're just going to get blown upwind over and over and over and just not be able to get back. So once I get that, though, I'll start doing a lot of my my uh, wing foiling right here. But Hood River is the epicenter of all of these wind sports, kiteboarding, wing foiling, um, wind surfing. So all of the companies are here. When I tore up my wing, I had it fixed almost that day. I just drop it off. There's a place that does wings. We have every wetsuit imaginable. We have all the equipment manufacturers are all here. So it, it really is a good place to do this. You, it, the, the whole world of wind sports is right here. You know, you're, um, we, I was doing some of my follow-up, my surfer buddies that I grew up with and everything, and they had Jerry Lopez. Does that name ring a bell to you? No. Jerry Lopez? Now, I don't follow any of this stuff like... Lightning bolt? You've heard of lightning bolt, right? No. Lightning bolt's that lightning bolt insignia on clothes and oh, okay. everything. He's, yeah. He's okay. the founder. He's the founder of that. But he moved from the islands um, to the mainland, and he lives out there somewhere in Oregon. Okay. On the coast. Yeah, they, he said he moved to Oregon uh, like 10, 15 years ago. So he's no longer uh, island. He's the mainland. I'm sitting there thinking... You go from being one of the best surf spots in the world, you know, pipe, pipe in the North Shore. Yeah. Why did you go to why, Oregon? Why would you go to the Midland? And, and then on top of it, Oregon? Yeah, why? Talk about water temperature. Oh, yeah. The ocean what up here is, is cold right now. I think the ocean temperature for us what? is in the 50s. Yeah, and nobody realizes that might not sound too cold. Oh. But you get a nice swell, and and, you, and you go under the under the breakers three, four, five, six, seven sets. Yeah, you get that with the you know the remember Slurpee when you drink a Slurpee, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, fifty degree water is brutal. You better have a decent wetsuit for oh. that, and so and that's what I'm saying. We're we're probably where I'm wakeboarding or wing foiling in the river right now. I think we're probably like seventy five degrees. It's comfortable. I'd be fine without a wetsuit. Wow. Period. Like I said, did you hear about some of those water temperatures down there in Florida? No, I haven't. One hundred two. That's just stupid. One hundred two. I, when I go in my hot tub, I only set it at one hundred one. Yeah, it's one hundred one point two. That so is, is round at one hundred two. But that is hot tub temperatures. The corals, Mo, I, I will tell you, most yeah. people cannot get in a hot tub at one hundred and four. It's too hot. Yeah, it's it's just brutal the water temperatures around the Keys and, uh, and the right. Atlantic Coast and, hey, uh, and hey, Vic. In the west side hey. of the... Hey, yeah. call on another day when we have more time and we'll talk about this stuff. I got to go. <laughs> All right, bye. All right, see ya. Let's, uh, let's go to Detroit. Keith, welcome. Hello. Uh, I had a question about super singles. Uh, I, have, I have normal duels right now. And I was looking to get a set of super singles, found them on Facebook. And I was just curious what the efficiency, you know, if there's a way to 
tell the difference between the singles and the yes. the duels. So let let's with uh yeah, let me give you the the way we approach this. So all tires have a rolling resistance. And that's really what yep. if if yep. we want to talk about fuel efficiency of a tire, it's always rolling resistance we look at. We don't have to separate right. duels and singles for this step. If we want the lowest rolling resistance we can get, in some cases it could be a duel. In other cases, it could be a single. So when people say, well, singles are more fuel efficient, that's not a true statement. There, there's some single tires out there, some wide-based singles. Super single is technically a misnomer. There is a super single tire. It's not what you're looking at. It's more of those 315s that you see on the front of dump trucks. And so those are actually super singles um, what we use on the back of a tractor is actually called a wide-based single just nomenclature right, yeah. it just helps um, but we can't say wide-based singles are more efficient there's too many of them and some aren't so when we're looking at fuel efficiency we just look at one number rolling resistance now, are there other things to consider when you're buying a tire? Yeah, life, um, wear patterns in that particular operation. So there are other things we have to look at. And then we could also look at one of the reasons I like wide singles, some of the benefits. One of the most annoying things in the world for me is putting air on that inside tire. You can't get the valve chuck on the right. It's just a pain in the ass. That completely goes away. That's an advantage. I, I have had the opportunity to go out to Michelin's Proving Grounds and spend two days on all kinds of crazy test tracks. And I had the ability to, they would always set up two identical trucks and trailers. One would have duels, one would have wide singles, and we would get to go back and forth and drive them on these crazy test tracks, doing all kinds of things you would never, ever do on the road. And hands down for me, those wide singles always performed better. They handled better. I liked everything about them. So fuel mileage, yeah, it's the first thing I look at. I also like wide singles for a lot of other reasons. Are there some downsides to them? Yep, there are. Um, right. You can lose traction a little easier I sometimes. I'm breaking up. But, but the downsides were never a problem for me and the upsides I really liked. So my approach was buy a wide single with the lowest rolling resistance. Right. So that's kind of where I was going with that is I know the, super, the wide singles, wide base singles I'm looking at have about a 40 point lower rolling resistance number than my tires I have my, on my semi that's, that's huge. I can tell you exactly what it will probably, I can't, I shouldn't say exactly. I can tell you what it will equate to fuel mileage wise. Every 10 points on rolling resistance is about one tenth of a mile per gallon in savings. So you could see an increase okay. of about That's four tenths, which is significant. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you had the right number. That's Perfect. all I That's need. That's what I was wanting to know. Yep. That 40 points is that yep. what I'm looking yeah, I at. You Now, there's a little bit of a crossover. Remember, the tire you have right now is at its best rolling resistance. The older a tire gets, the better the rolling resistance is. You're replacing that with a brand new tire. So you won't see that four tenths immediately. You might, you will probably see a little bit of a gain, but that four tenths is over the life of that tire. Right, yeah. Yeah, the tires on my truck aren't worn completely anyways. They're plenty of life they're like there's still half life left oh then you you may see so, a, and then a the, the white, fairly significant the white increase i'm looking at are are used as well so, oh oh yeah then you may see the full four tenths right off the bat yeah perfect that's what i was looking to hear all right thanks for the call i got one more and then we're gonna turn thanks, this Tom. over to rolling toe go to ohio philip welcome to the program Yes, sir. Kevin, good morning. Um, I've been an avid listener for a while, and I'm driving a 16 Cascadia with a DD-15. Just turned over 900,000 miles, and I got both check engine lights on last week out in Oregon, and I was informed that I'm going to need a new one box. Okay. And that'll cost at least $13,000. 
Yeah, it's been more like now, 20 in the real Pittsburgh world. Power. Well, I'm getting good prices for 13. Okay, here good. At Williams in uh, Columbus, Ohio, Williams Detroit Diesel. Good. But we've been saying now and then that we're not afraid of emissions engines. But these emission engines have a scheduled maintenance that cannot be ignored. And when I bought the Pittsburgh Power, they said, ooh, you're lucky. That should have went out at 700000 And when you do the math on that, that's like two cents a mile just in one box maintenance. Right. Not including the DPF filter that you have to change every 400000 Well, you don't change it. And we clean it. We service it. Okay. You... DPF, My owner's manual says it I, needs I, a 400000 Yeah, I know something. what the owner manual said. In the real world, that's not true. DPF Solutions has an awesome cleaning process, so many times we just clean them. Okay. There's a cost involved in these emission engines. Correct, of course. And I don't know on the new ones what their scheduled maintenance is, but we we... We've got to take this into effect when you're but, looking but at we, a 16 but, but we do. Hold, hold, hold on. We do. Every time okay. I talk about numbers, we, this is why we want drivers to have a profit and loss statement. This is why I get so frustrated when mm-hmm. they don't. But I have enough people who do, and I have access to that data, when we talk about cost per mile on any vehicle, comparing pre-emission to emission, All of those things are taken into account. We're using real numbers from real operations. The maintenance costs are in there and the fuel costs are in there. And there is an argument to buy brand new trucks today. I mean, when you've got somebody like Joel running around knocking out 12 miles to the gallon pretty consistently. And yeah, you might replace a one box, but you know what we're not doing on these engines? We're not rebuilding them. They're not burning oil at a million miles. Hmm? Well, so, that's so, another question. So, so let's, I got 900000 Let's add up the cost right. of putting a gallon of oil into a, an older engine every 10,000 miles on average. There's another cost. You don't have that cost in these trucks. The oil changes, even without a bypass filter, are now 75,000 miles. You have cut your service cost by two-thirds on oil changes. Most of the components on these trucks last far longer than the older trucks. Starters, alternators, there are big improvements in these trucks. So I am comparing true cost per mile, everything in to true cost per mile on the older trucks. And we can make an argument in some operations, new trucks absolutely make sense. You will also hear me telling people you shouldn't be spending any more than $20,000 on a truck right now. So there is no blanket statement that you should either buy older trucks or newer trucks. There's much more nuance than that. But when we talk about cost, of course, we have all those costs figured in. Okay. Now, on the newer truck, that's close to a $200,000 truck right now. No, it's not. No, no, stop. We can get trucks. Prices are coming way down. We should not be using those hyperinflated numbers from a year or two ago. And we just because we're talking about emission trucks, we're not talking brand new. We're, We're recommending buying anything after 2014. Some of those trucks have a million miles on them now. So we're, we're, you're only looking at an overpriced brand new truck. That's not the case. But what was your question about depreciation? Well, that was it. And when what, we're what getting was it? 12 what miles now, hold on. What was it? What is the question about depreciation? I didn't hear a question. All I heard you say is we have to consider depreciation. What are we considering? Okay, I guess the question is, is how much is depreciation on a truck similar to Henry Albert and Joel's truck, which wait, I wait, both wait, appreciate wait, everything wait. they're doing. Hold on. So, depreciation never changes. Depreciation tax. First off, we have to identify what we're talking about. Depreciation for tax purposes or true mm-hmm. depreciation of value of the truck. Which one are we talking about? Because they're two different things. I would say the true depreciation that you have to pay 
You don't pay. Hold, hold on. You don't pay. Well, stop. Stop a second. You don't pay depreciation. I'm not sure what. That's why I want to understand. I want to make sure we're talking about the same thing here. What do you mean pay depreciation? That doesn't make sense. When you are, buy a new truck, it's worth X. You run it four or 500,000 miles. You trade it in. It's worth X. Well, first off, that that, first off, I am, I am never a proponent of running a truck four or 500,000 miles and turning it in. That, that's not my strategy at all. Okay. There's not enough new technology in just 400,000 miles to, to be looking to trade in already. That's where this, this well, idea I, I, falls apart. Fleets can do this, but this well, we is not. We got to pick a number. Well, okay, a million two. That I'm driving. A, a million I, two. There's my number. Well, okay, a million two. I, I guess you'd. I'd and at a million that. two? I do not here, believe. You, you don't believe what? Well, I don't believe that that Henry Albert's truck, he'll still own it when it has a million it, points. Why does Henry Albert, sure. why, I think hold on a second. Why does Henry Albert matter? Why does Joel matter? Those two are out doing things the average driver doesn't do. So to use them as an example is not a good idea. Forget them. I'm, t- I'm telling you my strategy. Okay. You buy new because. trucks, well-specced, and you keep them for a million plus miles. At that point, resale value is meaningless. You're going to get fifteen or $20,000 for that truck. Who cares? We got our money out of it. I don't care about resale value. I'm going to run the truck till it's only worth 20 grand. That's always been the case. And I get it. And then I go get another well-spec truck. That's the way. And I can show it in math. That is certainly not without exception, but generally. Well, there has to be some number there. What number? What number do you want? I've given you a ton of numbers. Which one do you want now? Well, for instance, this truck I bought is a Walmart truck. When I got it, it had 600,000 miles on it. I bought it for $30,000 in 2020. Now, Walmart probably give $100,000 for this truck, or 130. They lost $100,000. No, they did not lose a hundred. Stop it. They did not. They put 600,000 miles on that truck and generated a bunch of income. It's not a loss. Nobody lost anything. Just because you sell something for less than you paid for it does not mean you had a loss. It, it's a, it is a revenue-generating asset. It's not an investment. Is it we not don't a buy cost? It at, yes, it's a cost. Of, uh, okay, then it's a cost. Right, but you said a loss. That is not a loss. Okay, a cost. A cost. Then I used the wrong word. It would be a cost of operation okay. or a cost of ownership. Right. And that and that would be like 10 to 20 cents a mile. So what do you, right. So what do you think Walmart should do instead? What should they do instead? What's their option? I don't know. I'm there just, is no option. That's my point well, that Walmart can't go out and buy used trucks and Walmart can't keep trucks to a million mm-hmm. miles either. That does not. You're trying to, to run mm-hmm. your operation based on what fleets do. That is a huge mistake. Fleets are a whole different well, world. We, Joel I and I talk. Just, you are. You just gave me an example. You think that Walmart is somehow losing money with this strategy. They're not. This is the best strategy for a well, fleet. They, mm-hmm. they need to have new trucks to keep drivers happy. I understand that. And other reasons. It's not just to keep tra- trucks. Of course there's a cost. How do you have a trucking company without a truck? Okay. Now, have you been familiar with Blue Ribbon Logistics that's been kind of on TikTok and, and, and YouTube? I, I, actually, I actually have a, a kind of a loose partnership with Blue Ribbon Logistics. I know the owner of it very, very well. Well, I tell you, I'm very impressed with what they're advocating. Oh, okay, so, and, so and, hold and that's on, what hold I'm trying to get in that. Hold, hold on and, a second. Hold on a second. Let me explain something to you. I know right. the owner very well. I'll give you his history, and I'm not doing this to brag, but I'll tell you how he got to where he is, and he will tell you the exact same thing. He was a photographer. The photography, a professional Mm -hmm. photographer, a really good one. That industry was decimated. There are very few professional photographers left. He decided to try trucking, and he got into trucking late in life, 
And he had some business experience, which really helped because he ran his own photography business. He came to my CMC, my training event. And then he came to it again and again and again. He became our official photographer of that event. His system mm-hmm. is based on everything we teach. He will tell and you that his himself. His system also will not take an emissions truck. That's okay. And, and I, I that, have that's a okay, huge but that, respect of this. Philip, I don't know if you know my history or not. I promoted non-emission trucks for at least a decade. I told people, do not buy these things. In 14 and, and earlier, we had been working hard on trying to figure out how to keep these things running right. We figured it out and we ran the numbers and we said, it is now safe to buy these new emission trucks if you understand them, if your budget works right. Blue Ribbon has a completely different model, but it's based on what we teach. You will still hear me tell people, no, you should not be buying a new emission truck. You should be buying an older, cheaper pre-emission truck. There is no one size fits all, but you're, you're now praising the system I created. Exactly. Exactly, I am because of of so many. But then, Philip, Philip, then understand if I were able, if I were smart enough and knowledgeable to build that system, and now I'm also telling people there's a second way of doing this. You can buy these emission trucks if you do it right. Why isn't that okay? And it can be okay. No, it is okay. There is a, a. there's a scheduled cost to running these uh, emission trucks. But Philip, why do you keep and, saying and that? Like, I don't understand. Do, do you think I don't understand that? You keep repeating that. Do you, okay. do, do you well, think that I it, created it all these? like the blue ribbon. <sighs> like I said, Philip, that's You're my that blue system. blue ribbon lunatic systems. It's not a lunatic system. Yeah, it seems like a great system. It it is, but it's not the it's not the only way to skin a cat. One of the things people always think, they always try to tell me, you think you know the only way. No, I don't. There is no only way. There are dozens of ways of doing this right. There are also hundreds of ways of doing it wrong. But there is no one size fits all. So if you really like that system I created, great. Congratulations. I put a lot of work into it. I've also created other ways of doing this, and they're just as good. And they're all based on numbers. None. I didn't pull any of this stuff out of my ass. I promise you. We we didn't talk about. We didn't recommend buying these new trucks until we were able to show that they were cost effective. I didn't tell people to go out and buy these things because they're shiny and new and have a bunch of bells and whistles. I told people to buy them when the numbers make sense, and that's all the numbers: fuel, maintenance, taxes, depreciation, everything. It's all in. Well, it, it looks like my scheduled emissions cost is approximately three to four cents per mile. Why, hey, instead of scheduled, Philip, why cost. aren't we talking about real cost? What are your real maintenance costs? Well, I, I don't look at scheduled. I base uh, my stuff on real numbers. I think they're going to be more than that, but, that, but just the scheduled cost is three or four cents a mile. Well, no, it's not. No, 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 it's not. Not if I don't follow that schedule. Maybe there's a better schedule. Like I said, they want you to replace the DPF. We've shown that it's cost effective to clean the DPF. They don't even talk mm-hmm. about running things like additives that can help the emission system. But we have those as well. The catalyst has dropped emission costs tremendously for a lot of people. You're not going to find that in the owner's manual. You'll find that in real world numbers, which we deal in. Hmm? So, Philip, right. I, I, well, I, I, I love numbers. I, I'm looking hey, at 15 hey, grand Phillip, years. So I, Phillip, that's if, the real world. Yep. I, I love going over numbers and I wish I had more time. If you can, mm-hmm. I'd love to have you join me on Twitter in an hour or so. And we'll continue this. OK, we'll try it. Thank okay. you, sir. You're welcome. Yep. I, I, and I would have kept going, but I've got rolling toe standing by. And I got to get those guys in here. So uh, 15 minutes late this time. <sighs> now they're going to go 15 minutes late, which they probably should. So Twitter might be a little late today. Uh, I'm going to wrap this up and we will be right back with Rolling Toe. Don't go away. <laughs> 